Hello, and welcome to Ride Pure, the Royal Enfield podcast, a podcast about Royal Enfield motorcycles, the people who create and build them, you, the people that ride them, the things you do to them, and the places you explore on them. I'm Gordon May, Royal Enfield's historian, author, and overland motorcycle traveller, and I'll be hosting today's Timeless Classic episode. So put your earbuds in, crank up the volume, kick back and enjoy the show. Today we're returning to South Africa to talk with three Royal Enfield Classic riders who'll be sharing their stories, their adventures and their passion with us. They are Fred Stradham, Leslie Ann Green and Keith Roberts. Thank you all for joining us. Fred, shall we start with you? You know, maybe we can kick off by you telling us your memories of the first time you saw a Royal Enfield. Um, I remember the first time it really struck me that um, it could very well be my next motorcycle. I think it was in Johannesburg. I mean, in, in uh, I forgot the name of the place. Anyway, they're on the road, and there was a club, and there were about ten or fifteen of them, and there were there were stand there were standard bullets, and there were all classics, and there were a couple of Royal Enfields from the nineteen fifties, and they're all going off to some parade. And um, I remember seeing them, and um, and at that time, I thought I was really looking for the the bullet. I went into the club, I asked them, I said, "Look, and I'm really interested." XYZ, whatnot. And they showed me a couple of classics and I thought they were great. I mean, I, I think at the time when I saw the classics at that time, the military one was the one that I was absolutely convinced that I wanted to have. But the Chrome, the classic Chrome wasn't even the radar. I hadn't seen one in South Africa. And then eventually I went into some place that used to used to deal uh, Royal Enfields in Johannesburg. And I said, look, I mean, I'm, I'm looking for an Enfield and, and I'm struggling to find one, to be honest. And it's even harder to find one now. So so thank goodness I did this two years ago. And, uh, and he said, actually, funny enough, I've, I've got an Australian bloke who just dropped off his infield because he's just left. And I went, well, look at it. I'm probably, it's probably going to be, you know, it's probably not going to be the exact one that I want, but, but, but let's just have a look. And um, it was an absolutely pristine uh, British green and chrome classic from 2016. And I hadn't seen one of those in, um, in South Africa. And there was nothing wrong with this bike. I mean, it was absolutely beautiful. So I didn't test ride it. I turned it on. And I bought it on the spot. Um, and I was happy with it with, as stock. As stock, it was a beautiful bike. There was nothing I remember. I, you know, I'd been riding for a long time, but there was a gap where I hadn't ridden for a couple of years because it had kids. And I went, I can't ride motorcycles. I have little children now. And then little children kind of get a bit older. And you're like, ah, and then your wife goes, go and get the bike. And you just kind of go and get it. And uh, there was a point where I brought the bike home and my wife was just blown away. Um, she didn't expect me to come back with something that beautiful. And her favorite book at the time was The Silver Brumby by Ellen Mitchell, Australian book, which is a book about a kind of wild, feral horse in Australia, this silver horse that just evades capture. And she says, you just have to name this after the bike. And I said, yeah. So my bike is named Brumby. Uh, my wife had a saddlebag made for me with Brumby's name on it. Um, and then as part of the later modifications that I did, I started applying a kind of saddlery like aesthetic to it. So it got a, a tan leather tank burb and it got trip machine leather grips and it got a kind of two-tone leather seat and my wife rides horses. So, um, I actually commandeered a couple of uh, things from the tack room and I put them on my bike. I found a leather nose guard for a horse was just at the ring with two 
to um, straps. And I had that on my headlight for a while. And it actually looked really good. I know it sounds incredibly tacky as I'm saying it, but it was actually a really good combination. Um, yeah. How do, people, how do people respond when they see that? Because it's quite unusual to have that amount of leather work on a, on a motorcycle. What sort of reaction do you get from um, uh, feedback regarding? In fact, everything's been positive. And, and you know, like my part of my actual day-to-day -day job is design and working in the creative industry. So I like to think that, that I apply a little bit of that part of my brain to it and, and, and rein in part in the pardon the pun on what I've said before, but as soon as you see it, it's been modified in a way that is distinctly the classic that you know, but that's just been kind of ele elevated and personalitized in places. And it, it, they're really just touches, you know, even the seats. I remember choosing the, the seat and I didn't want an entire uh, tan seat. So that's why I've got this kind of half black um, half tan look because I just wanted them to be kind of touch points things that you can't really see from a mile down the road but when you're walking next to it outside a shopping center you can kind of look and kind of enjoy under a microscope so um so yeah so the, these these are these are real visual things have you done anything yes. with the performance of the bike yeah or absolutely I mean um, there are kind of three different elements in which I've kind of personalized it a bit and there's definitely the aesthetic um, uh, element which which never has seemed like um, something that I've never had to work really hard on it's always just been kind of things that just kind of make the bike kind of pop in the ways that you that you like but inside i've got the 19 tooth uh, front sprocket from hitchcock's you know the royal enfield's got more than enough torque that extra tooth just really increased mid-range and makes it far more cruisable and you know i'm not a drag racer so i there's enough torque for you to get away from a stop and enjoy it but it just makes long distance great i've switched out the uh the stock muffler for a uh, harley davidson slip-on a screaming eagle and i've done some heat wrap on the pipe which is very contentious some people like it some people don't but I've, i think mine looks pretty neat and then i've put in a dobek ejk so it's a electronic jet kit uh, piggyback unit for the uh, fuel injector and then it's got three little lights on it and you can kind of adjust your fuel your air fuel ratio so i've managed to kind of uh, my bike runs a little bit richer just a little bit richer than um than stock it just runs beautifully you know it runs it just runs the combination no one thing um has really turned it into some kind of uh sport bike monstrosity and it's not meant to uh it just it just breathes nicely what about the exhaust note does that change yes it's a, it's, it has changed it's a lot um you know you can't get away from that thump and you never want to get away from that thump i think it's a little it's a little bit throatier it's the deeper uh rumble I think it's a great pipe. I mean, I might change it again for something a bit smaller. It is a bit big, but uh, I think it's really working for now. Can you tell us about your most memorable ride, where you went, what was special about the place, uh, what were the challenges, the terrain? Um, how did yeah, you feel when you got there? Yeah, most memorable ride. Um, it's kind of tricky because you, um, you know, I live, I live in the God route. You've been, you've been down here. So you know what it's like where I live and, um, you know, within two, two hours radius of where you are, you've got the uh, landscape and sometimes even the climate of like five different continents. You know, I've got desert this way, jungle that way, mountain and coastal shrubberies that way. So you, you've always have the opportunity to get out and have a different experience. I would probably say the most poignant, um, 
and the most affecting trip I've had recently was uh, I lo- you know I lost a family member, a very close family member, at the beginning of this year. And, uh, you know, I said to my wife, I said, you know, I just think I need like four days to get away. And I just kind of took to the road and, uh, and I traveled out for about uh, three or four hours, finding places to stop along the way, uh, hit some torrential rain, got through mountain passes, took a lot of gravel, stayed in a backpackers, um, had kids kind of join me for the ride. And it was just, it was just a, it was just a really great, um, uh, assortment of roads assortment of terrains but really just a great example of what it means to ride you know just to to grab your motorcycle grab your backpack and just figure it out as you get out there you know and um and return in one piece and um, and that was a very important trip and it wouldn't have been the same i wouldn't have had the same effect if i'd done it in my car by any means so so i i came back from that trip feeling closer to the art of motorcycling and, 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 and even closer to my motorcycle, which is a living animal, not a machine in case anybody. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. What about if time, money, commitments, family, you know, that you could do anything you wanted that, that, with your motorcycle? Where oh, would you I think every to? Enfield enthusiast should at some point do Nepal. You know, it's been devastating to see, you know, what India has kind of gone through recently. But there was a big plan for me to go this year. Um, and I turned 40 next year. So my wife and I decided we we're going to make a plan and we we're going to try and get to Nepal, uh, do that trip. But I'd like to do it on a classic. I did a two-month tour of South Korea by myself on a motorcycle. I've done Cambodia. I've done China. I've done a few places. But I've never been to India. And there's no better reason to go than to to go over there and grab an Enfield and take to the mountains. So that would be the trip for sure. You talked a bit earlier about the response you get from people about some of the modifications you've made. What about just general response to your motorcycle, to, you know, to, to the Royal Enfield, any particular encounters stand yeah. out for you? Yeah. You know, it's kind of, um, <laughs> it's kind of a double-edged sword really i mean to be honest it's, i mean it's great you get it in field because you like the way it looks and you know other people are going to like the way it looks but it's also real pain you know i mean to be honest i mean sometimes you just want to grab your bike go down to the shops grab some milk and grab some milk and head on home and then you step out and there's somebody there and you've got to talk for 20 minutes about your bike and 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 you're and and, and that's wonderful and it's exactly what you want um and uh, it, but it gets it gets so much attention that you kind of have to be ready for that if you get one because like, you're going to meet people you're going to meet lovely people it brings the nicest people I mean it just brilliant can you tell us how you feel about your role in field in a okay. few words uh, let me think about this I don't want to be <clears throat> you don't want to be cheesy but you don't want to be boring either right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel that the Royal Enfield is the first bike I've had where its flaws and the things that could be better are so fundamentally a part of what it is that to kind of iron those things out would take away its soul. I think it's a bike with a soul. It's a living animal. It's stubborn. Sometimes the bolts come loose and sometimes uh, things don't go the way you want them to go but you really wouldn't have it any other way. Just like that friend of yours who kind of annoys you sometimes, but is kind of closest to you. And that's kind of how I feel about that bike. 
be a very, very hard bike to ever get rid of. And I don't think I ever will. Uh, even if I can't get parts, it'll make a fantastic lawn feature in about 50 years' time. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Oh, you heard that. that that's, that's a very unique answer. And uh, I think that's superb. Thank you. So, Leslie, I know the bike you've got now, your classic, that's your second Royal Enfield yes. um, that you've owned. But can I just take you back in time yeah. to remember the very first time you ever saw a Royal Enfield? Can you <laughs> tell us about that? Well, I've loved motorbikes for a long, long time. Um, so the first time I saw an Enfield was in a, in a sort of in a book about old motorbikes. And I always wanted an original and I couldn't quite afford one. And so what would be your first encounter with uh, an Indian-made Royal Enfield? Um, I decided to buy one. I went to look at it. I got on it. I rode it and fell in love with it. <laughs> as, as instant as that? Yeah. So w when was that? That was in 2017. Um, I'd ridden a couple of other bikes. I was looking for something just to run around on, and I just liked the look. Can you remember that first ride experience? Yep. <laughs> what was what 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 was what was it that were you know that really grabbed you what was it about the bike beyond how it looked just because it's such a naked bike there's no you know there's nothing fancy about it um and that's what i really like is the just you feel like you're riding a motorbike um so i took it for a ride um I, it was literally around the corner and i went up over hell's work to pass just um to find chicken back and the wind was howling. <laughs> but that didn't put you off, obviously. No. <laughs> okay. So um, thinking about the classic as such, so you've said you saw pictures of older, which I assume you mean by older, you mean some of the older British Royal Enfields. The British this, ones, yeah. This book, yeah. Uh, but you, cho you chose to buy a classic. What was it specifically about the classic that you liked? It was just, um, I had a very bling one, so I had the chrome one. <laughs> And it was just a very girly bike and very pretty. And, yeah, it's commented on wherever I rode it. I can just imagine tens of thousands of young macho Indian men saying, girly bike? I don't ride a girly bike. <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend at the same time who was riding through India on an Enfield, and I said to him, I'm riding a girly bike. That's exactly what he said. He was like, What? Ah, oh, he's in Bali now. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So you sold that bike, and for a period, I imagine, then you were without an infield. Yeah. I was sad. Yep. <laughs> So wh wh why did you decide to sell? My partner who rides a GS convinced me to sell it and buy a GS. <laughs> <laughs> so I had I bought the GS, I rode the GS, and then I was like, nah, still went an Enfield, so I bought another one. Excellent, excellent. So you now got two bikes, you know, the owner of two bikes. Right. I, at okay. one stage I had three, but I'm down to two. And the current one, that's a, that black and chrome, is that right? So you still stayed with the girly look that's chrome, chrome. chrome motorcycle. Yes. Yes. <laughs> a little bit more rugged. <laughs> Have you done anything to it? Like a lot of people with Royal Enfields like to personalize them, not so much customize them, like completely transforming them, but just changing one or two things that makes the motorcycle more yours. Have you done any of that to your classic? I've thought about it and not yet. Not yet. Might you then? 
can just polish it. Hmm? Might you? Might, if you were to personalize <laughs> it, what would you do to it? I'd probably put saddlebags on it and possibly a small screen. And does your classic have a name? Have you named it? <laughs> the first classic, yes, was called Emily the Enfield. <laughs> Emily. <laughs> and this one? This one is Ray. Ray? Ray for Raven because it's black. Ah, right. Okay. Cool, cool. Do you normally reveal that or is that something you just keep to yourself? Well, most of my friends' motorbikes have got names. So. <laughs> I've always struggled with motorbike names. I've tried so hard. I've had so many motorbikes and I've struggled terribly trying to find appropriate names for them. So that, that's, uh, that's why I ask. Yeah. Um, and then when I do give them a name, when I eventually settle on a name, I talk to them all the time, which is really embarrassing when people <laughs> hear you. <laughs> Um, can you tell us about your single most memorable ride on your classic, where you went, what was special about the place that you chose as your destination, or was it not the place, it was the terrain and the, you know, the challenges of getting there and, and how it made you feel going on this journey? We drove up to Breda River, and a huge portion of that ride was on gravel, and it was raining and it was muddy, and it was cold, and it was wet, and the wind was howling. And how did the classic perform? Incredibly well. It just kept up, and people were sliding all over the place, and we, we arrived in one piece with no, no dens, no dents, no <laughs> lots of mud. <laughs> we went through rivers and up and down strange sort of gravelly things. Uh, it was good. So is that a typical ride for you going off-road, or do you have sort of short runs where you've just got an hour to yourself and you just go out to clear your head short runs are good especially if work is quiet and i can get out and i'll go down to the beach or we'll go up to stillenbosch we'll go and have lunch on one of the wine estates um those are good things so um if money was no object and neither was time and you could go anywhere or do anything on your classic what would your dream ride be I'd probably like to ride through China. <laughs> Not India. Well, India and China. I'd like to do all of the East. <laughs> <laughs> um, on, on your Royal Enfield, you'd, you'd, you'd like to do something like that on a Royal Enfield? I really would. There aren't many Royal Enfields in South Africa. From what people tell us, they're quite rare there. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you go out for a ride, what kind of reaction do you get from people whether that be other motorcyclists or just members of the general non-motorcycling public general non-motorcycling public thinks they're beautiful um so do other bikers but i when it comes to speed i just can't keep up but is that an issue for you no no, no. any particular encounters anything spring to mind as you know something that get pinned down in a car park for an hour where you just can't get away from people constantly wanting to talk about your bike yes yeah. <laughs> yes <laughs> more than once <laughs> there's a bike parking spot where i do my shopping and there's a lot of bikes that park and i stood and chatted to a guy riding a um, ktm for two hours once <laughs> comparing bike stories <laughs> two hours <laughs> So do you have to sort of have, have a, um, a, uh, a make an allowance every time you go out that you're only going out for <laughs> half an hour, but you could be out for two and a half hours? 
<laughs> no, not always. Don't worry about me if I'm not <laughs> home in half an hour. <laughs> uh, I've also had people say, swap you, and I'd be like, no. <laughs> Can you tell us in as few words as possible from your heart how you feel about your Royal Enfield? Love my Royal Enfield. <laughs> Thank you very much, Leslie. Hello, Keith. So can I start by asking what you remember of your first sighting of a Royal Enfield when you first saw one? Yes, actually, I was um, going past, we've got an area called Constantia, which is where the Dutch first started their wine farms and so on. But anyway, I was going past there and there was this bike that went past me and I had a look at this thing and I thought, crumbs, that is the most amazing bike I've ever seen. I've got to have one of those. I think the one that I actually then ended up purchasing, which is a 500 bullet, is that one um, because I've been scanning various websites and things in South Africa anyway, looking for a bike that looked just like this one and mine seems to be the only one, but because of the panniers and all the leather work and stuff that came with it. So I'm pretty convinced it's the same, the same bike. <clears throat> Decided on the Thursday it's time to get another bike. And by Monday, I arrived home with this, um, with the Enfield and spent two weeks sleeping in the lounge because my wife was so angry. <laughs> Didn't go down well. Did not go down well. But yeah, you know, what do they say? It's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. So I take it from that, your wife doesn't ride pillion with you? Not at all. No, she did once, <laughs> the day we got it. So what, just, what, what would awesome. you say is about the classic itself that... Uh, made you buy one what were the sort of what what were the specific points that stood out for you firstly i mean it just looks like no other bike does it i mean you know it's it's not like the japanese bikes or even the italian bikes it just just isn't and it, it looks like an area uh, from an era that has, has gone past and a bygone era where it just has a different feel you know there's it it, it kind of grabs you by the soul uh, whenever i get on the bike I, i'm yeah i'm going for a ride but I'm actually going on an adventure and I, you know, like I re-energize. It's like my yoga, you know? And then the other thing, of course, is, is, is just wherever you go, there are conversations. I mean, people are always asking you about these things. If I go to like a shopping mall or something in, in Cape Town, I, I guarantee without fail, somebody will say, please start this thing up. I want to hear it because it also sounds different. You know, it really does. And then I'd get outside and it'd be like three or four people, you know, taking photographs, sitting on it. You, you're getting so much more than just this kind of ride. You, you get all the history, all the, the years and years of people gone before. And we've got a large Indian population in Cape Town. And I went to Simonstown here in Cape Town, where is where our naval base is. And we were stopped at the one pub. My son and I also got, he also, also has an Enfield, an Indian fella. And he came up to us and we, oh, like we, we had seen us like as if we were old mates. And he said, my grandfather has one of these. And I always wanted one. Where did you get it? And we had, they spent the whole night with him. We had drinks. We chatted. We met all the other, the guys in the Navy that were in the pub. And uh, they wanted to know everything. Like, so when I left, they knew where to get another one. They knew where they could get parts. It was just this totally different experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I had to arrive you, you, with another you, bike, I wouldn't get that. cycle really allows you to connect with people in a way that Correct, you Correct, yes. Otherwise, you know. Yeah, that, that's totally, yeah. It, it allows conversations to come up 
I can tell her, I can hear how enthusiastic you are. It just comes across. But that enthusiasm's spread to another member of your family. Yes, that's right. When I told you about the surprise bike when I got home, um, just decided to buy it and I arrived home with it. And as I pulled it, the first person to, to meet me at the, the gate at the back of the house was my youngest son, Ethan. And he just looked at this thing and the first one he says, when you die, that bike is mine. <laughs> And uh, so I taught him to ride. And now I kind of had that on Facebook, you know, on the Enfield websites and so on. And the next thing we got, I got this uh, direct message from a, a fellow in Johannesburg. He said, hey, I've got an Enfield in my garage. I haven't used it for years. I see your son's really keen. Let's see if we can get him organized because you know, he's, he's studying and so on by the sunday we organized through this guy that uh, he managed to make a plan to get it so we now too we both have 500 enfields and what, what we both love is that we can work on you know this is the thing we don't have to have all the electronic equipment okay it's all part of the the experience of working on these machines you know you can take it apart we've done that we've taken the engine apart and we've changed gaskets we've done things we know how the you know how it all works and you it's just such good fun. So it's been really a nice thing to do. And all my, my other two sons have all been riding, but um, yeah, they haven't. We haven't convinced them yet. <laughs> you haven't converted them to the uh, no. Royal Enfield way. <laughs> so, w- w- what what colour are your bikes? Uh, black and white. Yeah, black and white. So you've got the black the, the black uh, classics with the cream panels and the petrol tank. Uh, yeah, so basically black, and then it has the decals, which are cream and gold and red. Mm-hmm. So uh, then I've got uh, brown leather panniers and a barrel a tank barrel bag on the front, or a, a barrel bag. And then he is just completely black with also white or cream colored. Um, but he, he has no um, pillion seat on his. So mm-hmm. it is, it's quite, uh, it's a, 2011 model it's absolutely awesome so a lot of people personalize their royal enfields but it sounds like yours was already personalized almost to your taste before you you yeah, that was it. amazing yeah. uh-huh. mine was retrofitted to be like a second world war one so i have no electric starter um the handlebars are different the flickers are completely different the lights are different so where the normal enfield has the um the fuel gauge mine has the lights, that's where the lights switch on and off. So it, it has already, it was already pretty much retrofit. And now my son is slowly but surely, he's, he's changing his to, you know, to, to suit him. So it's quite nice. And we do a lot of leather work and stuff. So we're starting to, to mess with that. And we're getting other Enfield riders now asking us to make stuff for them, which is also, that's just so good. It's a wonderful Enfield community that we've actually kind of connected into. So we had um, 22 Enfields come down from Johannesburg, which is 1,600 kilometers away, came down to Cape Town for like four days, and we just, we went everywhere. Um, and you can imagine all of those bikes up and down the coast, and it was such fun. Three of them went back via the road, because a lot of the other guys, they, they put them on trailers and brought them down. But three of the guys rode back, the one six and they had a fantastic time they, they took i think five days yeah they took a week 
uh, you know, like 300 kilometers a day, and then they camped and slept in the bush and on the top of the, the passes and so on. They had a really good time. Can you tell us about your most memorable ride, where you went, what was special about the place that made you want to ride there, what the terrain was like, the challenges? And yeah. Well, yes, you know, the, the reason I, I, I wanted the Enfield as well is, apart from the looks, is the fact that I can work on it. Um, is is the one because we want to do a Cape to Cairo and then to Constance in 2025 and why do it on a normal bike if you can do it on a different kind of bike so my wife and I done we, we've we've done about 10,000 kilometers through southern Africa and we did that so uh, the whole idea for me anyway is to take the the Enfield on this trip so I've got to get to know it pretty well. I've got to see what the, you know, what its limits are and these kind of things because, you know, nobody wants to give me a ruddy Himalayan. So one of the, the really most wonderful terrains here is a place called the Tankwa. Kind of like stretches across the middle of, of Southern Africa towards Namibia. But it's just these vast plains. I mean, you, you could... You could drive like the whole day or two days and not see another person. It's just that way. I went there with with the Enfield, and it was you know the, at night, for example, the the stars, the canopy of stars. It's like you you're in the USS Enterprise. You know, it's just so clear. And if you ride the bike at night, um, it's just it's you can smell it, you can taste. It's fantastic. It's really an amazing space. You get to enjoy the land. You get to enjoy the the feeling of it. And uh, we traveled through there. We went to a place called Karstrom, which is so, – and there <laughs> we stayed at a guest house, and this guy has an Enfield clock, you know, a real old Enfield clock from, I think, 1948 or 1952 or something. So here again, we had this huge conversation about Enfield and the building because this guy's a an old engineer, I think he, he was. But what would be a more typical ride? Say you've only got an hour or two to spare. It's a Sunday <laughs> well, afternoon. Yeah. What would you do? It's a normal, typical ride. Yesterday, I just quickly hopped on my bike for two hours because I changed the chain and the sprocket, so I just wanted to see how how the tension had, had sat. On Thursday evening, I, I, I just did a ride around the peninsula, which is about 110 kilometers, and that's sea, mountains. Mm. It's phenomenal just around the corner from my house. So I was just did that ride off to work. So I went out to Chapman's Peak, which is one of the top rides for bikes because it's just got such nice passes and so on, and corners, really nice corners. And then there are lots of rides from here where you go out the up the east coast um, towards Nisner Way. These are the sort of shorter rides that you do. Uh, yeah. what, what do those rides do for you? Blows hair through, you know, air through your hair. So I can. That's why, like that Thursday evening, I had a particularly hard day at work. That evening we had a beautiful sunset and we knew the rain was coming the next day. So I quickly just hopped on the bike and just went. And you come back and you felt like you've been on holiday. You know, you you can take on the world. What, what's the Royal Enfield? How would you describe the Royal Enfield community in South Africa? I would say it's quite a caring community, always looking out for each other. So, um, but very connected, very, very connected community. And the second an Enfield comes available for sale in South Africa, because, you know, they're like chicken's teeth, everybody knows about and it spreads like a wildfire through the through the the the, the, the groups, you know. So you've answered all that, that. Those are all the questions I've got, apart from one, uh, which you've answered brilliantly. Uh, can you do this one for us? Tell us how you feel about your Royal Enfield Classic 
in as few words as possible. What's the essence of it for you? As, as weird as it sounds, it's, it's more like a love affair. Um, it really is. It's a space to just be, you know. So in, in one word, yeah, I would say it's pretty much a love affair. So, you know, in a weird way, but not. <laughs> writing it or fixing it and working on it is almost as much fun as writing it, you know. So it's always something new to learn and something new to see. Brilliant. Keith, that is fantastic. Thank you very much indeed. That almost brings this podcast to a close. Thank you for tuning in to listen. And thanks once more to our guests, Fred, Leslie and Keith, for sharing your stories with us. But before we say goodbye, here's another Gordon's History nugget. Royal Enfield began making diesel-powered bullets in 1993, a model first known as the Enfield Diesel, which later became the Taurus. However, around the world, several small businesses converted bullets to run on diesel using a variety of proprietary engines. One such company was Redbreast Industries of the UK, who produced a limited number of Robin diesel bullets using an 8.5 horsepower Fuji engine. In 1995, a team of eight enthusiasts set a world fuel efficiency record on one of these Robin diesel bullets. The bike was ridden 3,609.88 miles around the coast of Britain in 168 hours and averaged a miserly 201.08 miles per gallon. That's 85.49 kilometres per litre. As the bike was painted bright yellow, it became known as the Yellow Peril. For a number of years, it was on display in Britain's National Motorcycle Museum, but sadly, it was lost forever in the museum's tragic fire of September 2003. Well, that really is all for now. Do remember to join us for the next Ride Pure podcast. If you have ideas and suggestions for future episodes, do get in touch by email, ridepurepodcast at royalenfield.com. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, be sure to like, add us to your favourites, or even leave a review. To ensure you don't miss any future episodes, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until then, we wish you great roads and safe riding. <laughs>